we got to feel it for 24 hours. We need to feel it, the pain of it. That was painful. Welcome to episode four of the Marshall Street Podcast, where two washed-up SU alums cut into all things Syracuse sports. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We are everywhere. Leave us a five-star question and follow us on Twitter at MarshallSTPod44. I'm Jake. That's Keith. Keith, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing good. Another week. Another SUL this past week against Boston College, but we're hanging in there. The classic SU phrase, how long until basketball season? So we'll see. It's so cliche, but you're right. I've been thinking that since probably about week four. Um, so as Keith said, Boston College got the win this weekend, 16-13. to 13. Um, Syracuse dropped to a record of 1-7, which is the first time since 2005, which was G-Rob's first year. I remember tweeting that out after the game, and somebody's like, yeah, that's the year we want to aspire to be like. Let's discuss, did SU make a mistake by firing G-Rob? No. Yes, yes, yes they did. <laughs> Take that with 100% non-sarcasm. We are being completely serious. <laughs> um, so we got a surprise before the game started. We all, I think we went in with the mindset that Rex was starting. Um, we knew he was kind of banged up, apparently, from the week, from what I was reading. And... I think about like an hour and a half before the game, it was like, nope, Jaco- he's hurt. Jacoby Morgan's playing. So we got to see Jacoby Morgan for the first time. And I I thought, well, I think the game overall was just very like, just bland. There wasn't much. It was just boring, I think, for the most part. Um, Morgan looked okay. He had, his final stat line was 19 of 30, 188 yards, a touchdown and a pick. 124 of that in the first half. He was 11 of 16 in the first half. Um, so he's about, not bad. The, the pick was bad. He threw it in triple coverage. There might have been a little bit of a miscommunication with him, and I think it was Taj. Um, but not bad for a first-time starter, wouldn't you say? I would agree just, with uh, that. I think you saw flashes of things, that one where he was rolling out to his left, avoiding a sack, and then threw a dime to, I think it was Queely, right? Queely. Heck of a play, and... Um, I, I haven't seen that type of play out of an SU quarterback in I don't know how long. So <laughs> super, <laughs> probably I, I was thinking there's probably a Tommy player too that I'm forgetting, but no, a really really good play. And I think at other times we saw just especially with the, this SU line that doesn't give a ton of time to throw. We couldn't get the running game going too much, so he kind of held on to certain. Uh, passes a little too long that they got us into to bad situations but overall I was pretty impressed with Jacobian and he had a, he had a certain amount of poise and also a, an interesting throwing motion he's got kind of like a wind up but it seems he to does. work it, he, he throws like a he throws a much like stronger ball and a much tighter spiral than Rex does like I feel like when Rex throws it's like it kind of just like lofts and hangs out there and then watching Jacobian in the first game and even that drive against wake, he throws darts. Like he'll actually put a bunch of, he'll put force behind the ball and his ball just looks so much better. Um, I do agree about the ability to avoid the rush. There are a couple situations like the one to Queely, And then there was the one that probably should have been a touchdown on the last drive where he got pressured, rolled out and got to the pylon, which I don't know how you don't call it a touchdown, but it's whatever. that, uh, it's that lovely RSN, TV camera angles that they're like, no, we actually don't have an angle for this. 
you you texted me when that so I was at work during the game, so I didn't have audio on, but I was watching it. I watched the replay to kind of take my notes. The audio stunk. It kept it going was up and down, up and down the entire game. So yeah, you it wasn't just you, it was awful. It was horrible. It was terrible. And the broadcasters, their volume was low. Meanwhile, our uh, favorite carry on PA announcer, Michael Veely. Shout out Professor Veely. You could hear him almost louder than, yeah. the, than the broadcasters and all the background noise. And then it would go to commercial and it would blast. It yep. was just a terrible, terrible audio game. And that's something against the broadcasters. Because I actually I forget the guy's name. But, but I know he's a Q's grad. And I think he's a good broadcaster for the Fox regional networks. But no, that was, that was not good. It was, and it was the entire game too. It wasn't like it was just the first quarter. But that audio was awful all the way through. Seems to be a trend this year i've noticed a few games it's been like that so hopefully we get that cleaned up going forward for sure um you mentioned the running game uh sean tucker did come back he had 11 carries 52 yards but the team total was 52 so you couldn't get anything going um run wise and now does that include the qb sacks that college football counts I believe so. I have the box score up. Let me just check very quickly. Um, just curious, but yeah, either way, it wasn't wasn't too much of a yeah because game for Jaco- Jacobian's net was minus twelve. I gotcha. So like yep. even so, add twelve yards back to that. It's sixty four rushing yards on the day without sure. the sacks. So. That wasn't great. I thought Chris Elmore got hurt at one point, but I think he came back. So I, I even think the offensive line's done a better job just overall than the beginning of the year. Um, defensively, I thought was I thought it was the passing defense was good. Um, Trikovic only had 208 yards, but again, BC could run the ball at will. They had 101, 191 on the ground, and the broadcasters seemed to be like. Why is BC not running it more? Like, because BC could run the ball, but e- insanely easily. But they kept jumping back to the pass. Um, what did, What did you think? Did you think B- it looked just it was just way too easy for BC running the ball? Here and there, but anytime you hold an ACC team to sixteen points, I don't think you can really be upset at the defense, no matter how many yards they give up. I would also say to that is. That's sort of been the critique of the three three five so far this year. Is it's really tough to stop the run, and we'll see how much of that is the the personnel right now. As we're banged up and opt outs, we've talked about all that stuff. Right. It'll be interesting when we get the full cohort back to see if that's still a challenge. I I tend to think it's somewhere in the middle where it's yeah it's it's still going to continue to be tougher to run, but it will be easier that that we have our starters in there. But overall, I thought, as usual, a really solid performance and uh, another week where we're saying, yeah, the defense did not lose us this game. Right. Um, I, I, about, I said Jacobian had 124 of his 188 in the first half. You look back on that second, and it was the first drive. We had nine plays with 50 yards, kicked the field goal. Then we went three and out, two plays in the pick, one play in the Sean Tucker fumble, which we'll get into. And then, don't get me started on that. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then that last drive. So we, that's not entirely all on Jacobian because we didn't have the ball in basically the entire second half, fourth quarter. It was watching the game. I'm like, wow, we did not have the ball. That actually makes a ton of sense. Cause like, and I saw a tweet that said like, 
uh, that last drive was like a garbage time touchdown. But I'm like, no, it wasn't. Like watching back, BC still bringing pressure. They still have their starters in. Like that was a good drive by a freshman quarterback. I don't think you can take that away from him. Think what you want. That's just what I think. Um, yeah, we, we just didn't have the ball at all in the second half because BC ran it and they were wound on the clock. We got lucky because they missed a couple field goals and we held them to field goals. So that's partially why it was close. Um, one thing, I, another thing I want to talk about, and I think I talked about it last week too, is the stupid penalties. Um, we had seven more of them for 69 yards. The first drive, we had a first down get negated on a pass to Taj where Jacoby made a great play. And then on that punt, we had an unnecessary roughness. And then there was another unnecessary reference on a kick on the start of the second half. And BC started the 40. We got lucky they missed a field goal. Um, and then again, late in the first half, Jacoby made a great play. He... Of up near midfield, he threw for 28. I forget who he threw it to. But there was another penalty, and it was a hold. And we punted, and BC went down and scored their touchdown. So, like, there's one thing if we're committing, like, it's penalties that cost us. Like, those are chunk, like, 10, 12, 30-yard plays are getting called back because of penalties. And that's, like, the second, third week in a row. I I brought that up. So, and I know at some point, I know we've, we've made the excuse of, oh, it's freshman, they're inexperienced. But at what point do you say, like, Enough with enough is enough. How, this has to stop. Exactly. It's just a lack of discipline more than anything. And it's tough to see, especially the one you mentioned to Tosh Harris. It's like, man, we wish we could have that one back. You get the ones every so often. You'll see this at every level where it'll be a, a nice first down play, usually a pass play. And then they'll, they'll get back to the holding call. And it's just like, okay, the guy did that because he clearly got beat and just didn't want to get his quarterback killed. You didn't see a ton of that. It's usually just undisciplined plays that right. were pretty avoidable. <laughs> so again, the, tough the to see. Is, and it's, the, two it's special teams, the two special teams, unnecessary roughness penalties are inexcusable. That's just boneheaded stupidity. And I, yep. that shouldn't be tolerated by Dino. And I'm sure it's not tolerated by Dino, but it keeps happening. Um, so moving on from that, cause I agree with you, just need to put that out there again. Um, what did you think of the play calling? Because I thought there were some, there was like a, there were a couple weird ones. I thought the play calling was a little too conservative. I remember there was a third and I think 13 and it was a draw play for Jacoby. And it was a lot of just wide receiver screens and kind of check downs, like slants over the middle. We didn't get to see him throw deep or downfield a ton. Um, do you think that was by design? He was just, you know, was being too conservative. Cause I, I think Personally, that was, you know, like, look, he's a freshman. He just finally started to get first-team reps. We're going to take it easy to start. Um, what do you think? I would say that, but the, the play calling hasn't looked much different no matter who's at QB this season. And that's been a little frustrating, to be honest with you, because you go with the new OC this year after uh, Mike Lynch steps out of, of that role and you bring in Sterling Gilbert from McNeese, and you think, okay – we're getting back to vintage Dino from that, the, the Baylor system. And you just haven't seen it this year. And no. we tend to give the caveat after pretty much everything we say when it comes to football. And we do get it. It's a new QB. You're, you're dealing with personnel issues. All of that said, if I were to take out the no huddle, which is a big part of the offense, don't get me wrong. And I were to just show you clips of every play this season, would you think that this was a Dino offense or a Scott Schaefer offense? 
it tends to look very vanilla compared to what we've seen from Dino in the past. It, it is very vanilla. It's very bland. There's not a ton. There was a little bit with Tommy of throwing some wrinkles in there, but even with him starting at quarterback, I feel like the play calling this year has just been so late. I think vanilla or bland is a very good way to put it. Mm-hmm. And just to me yesterday, it stood out because I don't think we took any real ch- – it, it looked like we were just trying to say, all right, let's – it, it looked like we were just kind of, all right, let's get this game behind us. We'll get into the bye. We can get, we'll get them to go for – it just seemed like they were just so content with just going easy and not letting him, like, throw the ball downfield. It just it was just – I don't know. It, it That bugged me a little bit. Right. I do think that's part of it is we want to get this guy in here with the basics before we go too crazy. But if you want to have a slugfest and just make it a – you know, sort of a heavyweight battle where you're in it to the end. I still don't see the harm in throwing in a few wrinkles every couple of series. Like, I'm, I'm not asking for a, a wildcat playbook or any triple reverses on every down or anything like that. But something. yeah, something. Ju- just something. Every Take a so shot. Often. Take yep. a shot downfield instead of just checking it down to the running back. Um, and you see it a lot, too, especially in college. If you throw a deep ball to Tosh Harris in single coverage, what are the odds that D-back is going to have a pass interference penalty and you just get 15? <laughs> you see in the NFL, too, dude. Like yeah. Guys will just check it up and see what happens. Like, BC, in the first half, the quarterback kind of just threw it up and they got BC pulled a big play out on their touchdown drive. Like, that's what happens. Like, yeah, you're also risking throwing a pick, but you got to take chances. Um, talking about maybe kind of bland vanilla offense. Keith, I'm going to read you some stats um, from the offense this year that I pulled off because I was looking on ESPN.com. Syracuse ranks dead last in the ACC in these following offensive categories. Yards per game at 263.8, passing yards per game at 177.8, rushing yards per game at 86, rushing yards per attempt at 2.9, at rushing touchdowns with three, and they're actually not last in uh, passing yards per attempt, they have five. They're at thirteenth with five point eight, but the two teams behind them are both at five point seven. Um, and the total. So, and then I wanted to look at total offense nationally as well, just to see if maybe it was just an ACC thing. The only teams below us nationally for total offense is UMass, who's played two games, Utah State, who's played three games, Akron, who's played once, and FIU, who's played three times. Kansas is ahead of us in total offense. And so if you were to extrapolate that, we would be far and away the lowest in total offense. Yes. If this, if that, if you take those teams out who have played like one or two or three games, we have the worst offense in the country for sure. Like, and I, I didn't, bring it back to the vanilla play call. I think that probably has something to do with it because a lot of it is you're relying on a running back or a receiver to make to make a play after catching the ball at the line of scrimmage. Like, okay, go run for 10 yards instead of saying, all right, go downfield, our quarterback will find you. Or even, like, just giving that an option because I feel like the play calling just initially is like, all right, we're going to keep it short, we're going to keep it safe, and I don't think that's how you win in football. I, I, I don't like the safe play calling. I think it's and I think that de- also directly contradicts what Dino has said this year about we got to have, you know, Rex knows the playbook. All these guys are seniors that really want to win. That's all well and good. But when, when we say the phrase, it's, it's unir- unironically, what do you have to lose? That's a good example. If Nothing you're last in the country, 
last in the country in total offense. What do you have to lose by mixing it up? And I don't think all of this falls squarely on Dino, but I will say, think about the NFL. These these younger offensive-minded head coaches that get brought in, and you see the offense immediately sort of flip a switch, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's an offensive guru who's going to bring in their system and tailor it to the players. What happened to that with Dino? Like simple, simple question. I, I get it. There's a lot of personnel issues. We we've said all of that, but it still seems like it's it's his system. It's it should be the way it is. It seems like is it's the players have to adapt to his system versus the other way around, where he should kind of make the changes and make the make his system work for the players that he has and he recruited. By the way, and uh, that's that's where we kind of go in the circle, and we've said yeah. this before about. Well, he believes that if you're recruited to there to SU, you should already be a fit for the system, so we shouldn't have to adjust. You know, it's it's one of those deals. I but, could say this every podcast, but you're right. Like, it's it's. I don't I don't see after reading those stats and reading who's behind us. I I don't see how you don't change up the offense to make it a little more not vanilla or just bland like it's just it's just so bland there's like three plays that we run there's slants across the middle there's a wide receiver screen and there's a check down to the running back like right. and I do feel like when Rex was in when Rex was in I feel like that part of it was because he can't make those throws downfield whereas like when Tommy was in at least we took shots downfield um I don't but it, just to summarize I'm we don't have to go through all the caveats again. It's been tough circumstances, but with all that factored in, you have an offensive-minded head coach who ranks last in the ACC or in the country in all offensive categories, simply put. So hopefully it's just an aberration, and, and next year we'll, we'll be in a new direction because Zeno's proven he can do it, right? In 2018, we, we saw it all. We, we always reference that 10-win season, but it is proof that when the system's working, it's it's working, even with guys who are not as highly recruited as some of those teams that the 10-win team beat. So hopefully they can turn it around, but just, yeah, not a good look right now. All right. Um, Andre Schmidt at least was 2-for-2, two 35-46 two, and 46 on the day, so we have that. And let's, let's talk about um, – even though we, we say all this, the offense was just very bland and we weren't doing much in the second half. Late in the fourth quarter, we have the ball with a chance to win it. Or, or go ahead. We're, what was the score? It was 13-6. So we had a chance to tie it. Excuse me. Um, and first play of the drive, Jacoby Murray gives to Sean Tucker. Sean Tucker runs to the 22, gets brought backwards to the 19-20 yard line, and then fumbles. NBC recovers, they kick a field goal, go up by 10, and we just run out of time. I didn't see the play live. I remember you texting me about it. And because, like, I was, again, I was working. I didn't see that specific play. I saw the ball on the ground. I saw BC got it. And I saw it. We fumbled. I'm like, oh, is what it is. And then you texted me that. And I saw tweets on Twitter about it. And I'm like, I couldn't find video of it. So when I went back to watch the game and I saw it, how is forward progress not – he goes forward two yards, then goes backwards four yards or two yards, and then fumbles. In How a pile. Is, it's not like he's cutting back. He right. was fully in a pile. There were three guys on top of him. How is forward progress not stopped? And how, I don't know if you can necessarily review that, but if you can't – if, if you can't, then just ignore me. 
if you can review that, how is that not reviewed? I don't think you can. Can you not? Okay, because there was because there was no no whistle. No whistle. That's my understanding. I could be wrong there, but like you I said, it sure. was. I I would have loved your reaction if you would have seen it live without the sound, because you you see those plays, especially in the NFL, right where. It's like a clear incompletion, but the D back just like runs it to the to the opposite end zone, where yeah. it's just like, oh, what? Are you, like that's funny. If you I, know, just, if it I would almost that. seem like one of those plays where like, yeah. oh, obviously his forward progress is stopped. Like it's just one of those things the BC defender is picking up the ball just to pick up the ball. <laughs> but it, especially without sound, when you don't hear any whistles, like man, how in the world is that not forward progress? And it's tough to pin a one in seven team where you just listed off all those statistical categories and say, man, SU should have won. If not for that call, you can't really, you can't really make that point, but that is a game changing play in an ACC football game that should not be decided by the refs. And uh, yeah, I'm not saying we would have won the game for that fumble because odds are we would have punted anyway, (laughs) but in the fourth quarter with like six minutes, five, six minutes left, I, I don't understand how that call is made. I, I don't. That was awful. It was a rough weekend for ACC referees. <laughs> yeah, they, they review everything. But, but Oh, uh, my God. You brought it up, so we'll just talk about it now. What was the point of reviewing every play in the, at the end of the Notre Dame Clemson game? It dragged the end of the game out for like an extra 45 minutes. It was like the end of a basketball <laughs> game where teams started foul. Like, what's the point? We talked, I think it was last week or the week before, about TV Teddy. I think TV Teddy was in in some sort of Halloween <laughs> costume roughing that game because it, <laughs> it was, was every right? single play. Dude, he should ref football because could you imagine, like, they keep – the monitor at like the 30 they're on the opposite goal line tv page is sprinting full speed across the field at Notre Dame stadium oh they're like Teddy, these are all reviewed in our booth in new york he's like nope still gonna run <laughs> oh that no was that, that was awful it's interesting to see clemson go down even with trevor lawrence being out Uyunglele. i'm gonna gonna take a stab at that name but dj played pretty darn well and you can't exactly pin it on him when you're giving up 40, what, 47 points? Yeah. So, yeah, Notre Dame seems like this is their year where the first time in forever they've gotten over that hump. And you see them in a big game like that, and you don't automatically think like, oh, they'll keep it close, but then lose by 10. Yeah. <laughs> that's usually what you, what your head goes to with, with the Irish lately. Yeah, that's, that's not – that's a good Notre Dame team. I think I actually picked them to win, and – after that, I picked them to win. I, for my grad school, we do a TV show, and I picked them to win on the TV show. And after I picked them, I started thinking about it. I was like watching games. I'm like, oh my god, I made the wrong pick. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh my god, this is. I'm gonna look like an idiot. But and I don't like Notre Dame, but they made me look not stupid, and I appreciate that. Um, yep. Uh, although we'll I, see I if do. we get another field storming this week. I, yeah, I don't even want to talk about that. But that was bad. <laughs> Like I don't mind people being at the games, but just don't do that, please, everybody. That's all we'll say. Just don't do yeah. that. <laughs> uh, uh, Keith, you got anything on the? I've gotten like four Twitter updates from Tom Brady about the same tweet. Like, what is happening? I'm so confused. <laughs> He's an old man. What is happening? Just... Why do you have tweet notifications on for Tom Brady? That's the real question. Because I feel like it. Um, Keith, is there anything else for the BC game that you want to talk about? Anything we missed? Nope. Let's bury the football onto Louisville. 
All right, we're under Louisville. So we Syracuse is off this weekend. Um, we're going to preview Louisville now because I'll give you, we'll tell you why in a few minutes. Um, but November 20th at 7 on ESPN, so it's actually a night game and it's on national television um, at Cardinal Stadium in Kentucky. Uh, Syracuse, Louisville. Uh, Louisville leads the all time series 11 7. Last meeting was on November 23rd of last year. Uh, Louisville won 56 34. SU was in that game late. I think Louisville was kind of like begging him to take the lead, and then I just, we just gave it away. Uh, no line yet, seeing as it, the game is another week and a half. Um, Louisville, I think, had some higher expectations for this year, but they've struggled. Um, they come in at two and five, including only one and five in the ACC. Their wins include Western Kentucky and a bad Florida State team, and they've lost to Miami Pitt. Uh, Virginia Tech, who are all good teams, but they also, oh, and Notre Dame, but they also lost to Georgia Tech, who we blew out. So I feel like if Syracuse has a chance to win the rest of the year, I think this is the game because NC State's good. They've been ranked. I think NC State's a very solid team. And then Notre Dame in South Bend. Um, Keith, what do you, what do you think? I, I think Syracuse has a decent shot here if, if we can open up the playbook a little bit, but We'll talk about the players on Louisville in a minute because they're running offense is pretty good. Um, what do you think about this one? I'll start by saying my first, maybe not my first, but my most vivid memory of Syracuse against Louisville was Lamar Jackson's first year as like a high is a household name. The year he won the Heisman. So yeah, it was the second game of the season, if I remember correctly, and yes. the first game he lit up some FCS school for like eight touchdowns in like a half or something ridiculous. So we're like, okay, this guy's good, but it was against an FCS team and just completely obliterated Syracuse. I think that was the game he hurtled over. Was it Cordy that is still shown on a constant highlight loop? <laughs> Every time there's a highlight package of Lamar Jackson, that friggin' plays in it. I remember where I, I remember sitting in the student section. So like if you you've been if you've been or a Syracuse student, you know where the student section is. If you're looking to the right at that end zone, that's where Louisville was going. And I think we we were in like we were pretty close. We were in like the second or third row. So I had an unobstructed view, and Lamar rolls out to to his left, and I see the linebacker. And, like, the second Lamar hurdles, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, the jaw floor. I'm like, this kid's good. And then, like, we they, they put up, like, 800 yards that game. And I'm not even – I don't even think I'm low. I think they put over, up over, over 800 yards. Because I remember the way it went is the first play, they threw, like, an 80-yard touchdown. Then when they got the ball back, the second play, they threw, like, a 60-yard touchdown. Or Lamar broke a 60-yard run. Yeah, that was an ugly game. But, yeah, that's that's the defining moment of Syracuse Louisville in the last five years. They – like, tailgaters from East Adams were not even in their seats yet before <laughs> Lamar was like, nope, this game's over. I, I stayed for that entire game. There were legit 25 people in the dome when that game ended. It was insane. Yeah, that's hopefully not reliving that this week. Lamar, if you're listening, please hurdle somebody else so we can stop seeing that clip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Louisville is on its face a better team than SU as most ACC schools are I guess all ACC schools right we were ranked at the bottom of the the most recent rankings oh yeah no we were last <laughs> so no wins that really grab your attention though WKU is what it is Florida State has been so up and down 
and then the five losses you mentioned. The most scary part about Louisville is that how close they've kept it with some good teams really is, is the best mm-hmm. thing. So it's almost like they play to their competition. Would you agree with that? I think it's a good way to put it. Like the Notre Dame game was, um, what was it, 12-7, something like that? So I guess by the transitive property, um, Louisville is better on defense than Clemson. I mean, there's no way around it. That's that's what the math says. That's what that's what the math says. Hashtag advanced analytics. <laughs> but <laughs> but no, I, I do think we stand the analytics nerds are typing their one star reviews right now. <laughs> yeah, Nate Silver is in the podcast uh, <laughs> podcast <laughs> ratings. Like these guys are not statistically accurate. But there's nothing about Louisville that I look at one specific element and it's like, oh, this, this really scares me. It's more so they're, they're a notch ahead in terms of their talent that, that is on the field this year. And they're a notch ahead in terms of their overall resume. So mm-hmm. I do think we're a bit of an underdog, right, rightfully so. And I do think at its best, we could certainly make it a game and maybe eke out a really close victory at its worst. We could see this one get ugly if we can't put together anything on offense. And then I think the reality lies somewhere in the middle where we, we probably keep it close for a while. Louisville pulls ahead at the end and, and hopefully we see some more progress from Jacoby and Morgan. I think if Louisville can get their running game going, which against us might not be that hard, I think it might get ugly. Um, Malik Cunningham has the ability to run. He's got seven touchdowns on the year. And then uh, their lead back is Javion Hawkins, who has seven. Um, but Cunningham throws a lot of picks. He's got eight. So uh, maybe if the Syracuse defense can do what they do and force him in, force him terms, which we actually didn't do against BC. I forgot to mention that. Um I think I agree. I think this game. I think this game will be closer. I think the line will probably be about 12, 13. and I think Syracuse keeps it closer than like um, the Wake game or something like that. I think it'll be a lot like the BC game. If we lose, I think it'll be it'll be by like fourteen or less. I don't think it's. I don't think Louisville's going to obliterate us. They don't scare me that much on paper. And their defense has actually only forced four turnovers on the year too, which I thought was interesting. So. So what do you got for a prediction on this one? I don't know. We neither of us have picked Syracuse to win a game yet, and I know I'm not picking us to beat NC State in another game. Um, I don't know. Screw it. I'm gonna pick Syracuse to win 24-20. Ooh, okay, okay. That's an interesting score because of the 24-20. Uh, what am I saying here? Basically, the the low scoring affair I think is is an interesting way to it's go. Twenty four points one. low scoring for us. <laughs> but no, that's what I was just gonna say. I, like if, if we're gonna win, I don't see us lighting up the scoreboard. That's so, my point. I think uh, the reason I said I think we managed to put a few drives together. Schmidt's money. I think Jacobian does a good job, and I think the defense pulls up a couple turnovers and they do enough. Like I remember I I wrote down in my notes Ben don't but don't BC holding him to like four or five field goal attempts. If we can do that, I think we win. That's what I'm going to say, 24-20. I'm going to get wild here. Okay. I'm going to predict a half-serious, half-joking score that is par for the course this season. I'm going to say there are no touchdowns in this game, and Louisville beats us in a kicking 
<laughs> Fiesta, fifteen to twelve. That I would. Uh, I can actually <laughs> game, like pretty closely because I don't have to work. If I have to sit through a fifteen twelve field goal game, <laughs> I'm gonna lose my mind. <laughs> I'm only half half serious when I say that, but my other predictions have been pretty off the mark, so. I don't trust this one any more or less than those two. All right. We'll, we'll see. I'll tweet that game week and we'll see what the people have to say. Um, <laughs> 15-12. 15-12. I'll refresh and have like 30 less Twitter followers on the, on the pod account. I'm like, who are these guys? Clowns. Um, other than that, I don't know if I have any other football things. Uh, Keith, you got anything else? Not too much about football. Still plugging along here and, and seeing how the rest plays out. And it's one of those things where the more you go on with the football season that goes poorly, you're like, oh, not only do you care more about basketball, but you also tap into the, some of the recruiting stuff. So <laughs> I know the class of 21 has been pretty solid for SU. And we may go in depth on a later episode about that. But hoping that we're able to keep adding to that class and beyond and maybe put together some more depth for the future rosters. A football recruiting episode might be like a summary late spring once lacrosse season's over kind of podcast or who the hell knows, maybe in two weeks when everything gets shut down again because of the coronavirus. <laughs> right after SU's next lacrosse national championship. Dude, the lacrosse, the final four this year is in Connecticut. And if we get there and I can't go, I'm going to be really upset. So hopefully yeah. people wear a mask so I can go and I can go in May, please. Um, we sleep in May though, John Rothstein. We we sleep <laughs> we sleep on June first once lacrosse is over. Yeah, we sleep after Memorial Day, just not we as sleep, catchy. We sleep after Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> um, so there's not going to be a ton of basketball stuff we're going to cover this week because um, next week we're going to do our men's and women's basketball preview. So. I know Buffalo got added to the schedule. Benny Williams committed, which we'll talk about uh, in a minute. But Buffalo, well, any signed. Old... He was committed well, he for signed. a while, but he, he okay, signed. you're he right. Signed, yeah. That's my my bad. I said the wrong word. We'll talk about adding Buffalo to the men's schedule, the ACC schedule, the preseason. AP, uh, AP, the pre. Well, I guess we'll talk about the AP poll too. Now, the preseason ACC polls, the men and women next week. Um, I know those came out this week, but uh, just a couple of recruiting things for basketball. Um, I don't think a lot of people were shocked about this, but people were disappointed, including me. Uh, Dior Johnson decommitted last night um, from SU. Uh, it seemed like it was very mutual from things I was re uh, reading. Uh, Mike Waters had the article that it's SU seemed to be worried about his academics. Um, and I think uh, Matt Gutierrez said the same thing from The Athletic. Um, Tyler Lydon actually tweeted or put something in his, on his Instagram. was like, y'all really didn't think this, guy, this kid was coming here, right? Uh, which which made me laugh, but I wasn't surprised, but I was disappointed. But I hope he, I I don't think he's going to play college basketball. I think he's going to go pro. So all the best to Dior, uh, Keith. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's funny. A few weeks back on the pod, I had said I think if Dior plays college basketball anywhere, it's going to be Syracuse, and I don't see him transferring or flipping his commitment anywhere. And I, I would say that's probably still the case. And it was a pure guess at that point. But I would still lean in that direction that he'll probably take the pro route, especially if it's a mutual agreement, like you said, and it's an academic concern, 
that doesn't lead me to believe he's at this point someone who's you know Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina are all going to be like, how do we get this guy in our building tomorrow? And it seems like his mind has already been made up to like, okay, I'm probably going to go pro. And if the academics do line up and for whatever reason he decides to come back to college basketball, that's when I think you see like those reports. SU still one of his top schools. Like, well, how does that match up? Like still one yeah. of his top schools, but mutually parted ways. And there's a little give and take there. I think if I had to guess, I would say probably SU was concerned about the academics. He didn't know if he was going pro. And SU said, okay, well, we don't want spots being filled up in our 2022 class and guys committing elsewhere who say, well, Dior is coming and he's going to get all the playing time at point guard. If you had a feeling this was going to happen anyway, maybe that's where SU steps in and says, hey, do whatever's best for you, but as of right now, we're we're gonna go in a different direction. So I think there's a lot at play there, and like you said, this was always sort of a a ticking clock as far as whether he would or wouldn't step on campus. Sad to see when it's such a highly touted guy, but I think you look at Benny Williams and some of the other targets, and especially 2022. I still think we're in a good spot, but it does yeah really bum me out that DR won't be suiting up for the orange in all likelihood. Yeah, it's for, it's for sure a bummer, but um, just to just don't be a dick. Don't tweet it. Don't tweet at him like that. You're pissed if don't. He's 17 years old. Leave him alone. Um, Jake, you told me your burner was firing off tweets left and right. About him. <laughs> I, I don't you know were tweeting the snake emoji at him all night. <laughs> your Twitter got locked. A snake and a picture of Kevin Durant. <laughs> Him and Baisley in a Q's uniform Photoshop. No, you can't. I don't even, like people were comparing him to Baisley. I saw on Twitter like that. Like you can't. No, this is... failed like a month before the school was supposed to start, and then this is he's different. This is different. He was supposed to be on campus for like, like two years. So I agree. Like, you, you have way more time to adjust your recruiting. And all that. Not saying Baisley deserves snake emojis in his mentions. No, but... no, I'm not saying <laughs> that either. <laughs> but let the record show. But no. <laughs> No, in all seriousness, I, I do agree with you. It's a much different situation than the Baisley News, who he, he had been committed to Ohio State, then flipped, then went the G League route. And even if Dior does go that route, Baisley was kind of a trailblazer in that path. Didn't even end up playing, but signed with Puma. And was it Puma or New Balance? I can't even remember. But it was Puma. Just a much different situation, but both times it, it really is a bummer. So hopefully the class of 21 and 22 can shape up really nicely. And we, I don't think we'll ever forget about him. We'll always kind of wonder what if, but at least make that blow a little less tough for us. We did get good recruiting news though today. Uh, Benny Williams, the four star small forward, number 32 nationally, according to 24 seven um, from IMG, he signed his national letter of intent. So he's a class of 2021. He will be here next year. Which is good. I think next year's team and the year after that, even without Dior, both can be really good. Um, Keith, anything to add about Benny Williams before I move on? Benny is a guy, and I talked about this with some of my friends who aren't Q's folks, but really follow college basketball and, and recruiting. The outsider looks at Benny and says, this is literally a Syracuse guy made in a lab. <laughs> like He's very long, very athletic, has a great dunk package very bouncy so 
I think he'll fit really well in the zone. I know it's cliche we talk about. He's got long arms and is lanky. And, but he combines all that with really good athleticism, and the game seems to come really naturally to him, and it doesn't seem like too quick. He's he seems like very, he's a very, very relaxed. He's a very good so. shooter as well, too. So, Yeah, I think he'll be a, a fan favorite. Um, when For he sure. on campus in 21, and I'd be extremely surprised if he didn't crack significant minutes even as a freshman. For sure. I think he's a, he's a minimum, I think, a two-year guy, if not more. I don't think and minute, As in, he'll stay at least two years? Yeah, I think, I think he'll be like Tyrell Lydon and maybe go out for two years. I don't know if he's necessarily a one-and-done guy. I think there, that possibility exists, but chances are he'll probably go for two. Yeah. All right, for sure. Um, so that's it for basketball because we're gonna do. We're literally just only gonna talk about basketball next week. We'll talk about football in two weeks, so we get a little bit of a mental break. Um, no new five star questions this week. Um, but if you want to leave one, leave us a five star review on iTunes with a question, and we will answer it on the next podcast. Please do it. It helps us find new listeners, and we like doing this. So, yeah, that's about it. Um, with that, uh, this week in Syracuse sports. Uh, the field hockey team lost 4-3 in overtime, the number two North Carolina in the ACC semifinals. And the soccer team, women's soccer team played last night, and I don't know if they won because I forgot to check because I'm dumb. Um, hang on. The women's soccer team lost 5-3 to Virginia. So there's that. Um, now on to our Syracuse fan comment of the week. Um, mine's long. And I don't necessarily agree with it, but I thought it would be a decent conversation piece. So, look, it was talking about recruiting. So, the, it's long, but keep, so just bear with me. We play our best college football when we forget about the stupid dome advantage and recruit the blue-collar New England and Midwest North or Northeast and Midwest kids we have in the past. I see people saying we can't recruit here. Talon Carter came here and was a stud. We went, when we weren't using gimmicky offenses, like we got guys like Pew and Tiller on the line. It works for Pitt. It works for BC. It has worked for us. You want to be consistently good question mark then we need to run an offense we can consistently recruit for in central new york defense and ball control is from formula lightning fast three and outs is not so it, I, I didn't necessarily agree with that because i think you need to recruit the whole board but i thought it posed an interesting question as to whether or not syracuse should stick into recruiting in the mid northeast and midwest to me i think the focus should be maybe in those areas but i don't think you need to just solely say screw California, screw Florida, screw the South. You have to recruit there because that's where the talent is. And I, I just thought it was an interesting comment. That's why I put it there. I'm with you on that. You could fast forward five years if we were to go with this plan. And you would see comments on the message board. Remember when we recru- recruited nationally, when we got guys from Florida like Steve Ishmael and yeah. Andre Sisko? <laughs> so it's – I'll say, too, the, the guys they mentioned, DeLong Carter, uh, Justin Pugh, Andrew Tiller, all really, really good players. What were I, I'm curious what the combined record for those three guys was at SU, because I'm convinced it's not very good during no, those and, eras. And I know Pugh was on the team that like shared the Big East Conference Championship. I'm pretty sure they went to the Pinstripe Bowl, so I think he was on a couple good teams. But, yeah, no, that era was not, other than like the couple years Doug Marone was here, it wasn't spectacular. And I think there's something to be said about getting those guys, but recruiting is so different now with social media and everything out there that I think it's important to lock down your state. I I think we've done a a better job in recent 
recruiting cycles. Um, Steve Mahar out of Aquinas Institute is a tight end from Rochester. Jalen Moss is a guy from Fairport at D-Tackle that will be coming in. So I think there's a balance, right, where you can figure out those guys who are in your backyard and and lock them down as best you can. You're never going to steal a, a guy from Happy Valley from Penn State that's a four-star right. or anything like that. But, you know, within reason, locking down everybody in, in from Rochester to Buffalo to – even NYC, um, we've seen big recruiting gets from um, Kadir White was a four-star O-lineman. I don't think he's even seen the field, and that may be a whole different discussion. He's now in his third year as a four-star O-line recruit, and Chris Elmore is starting at on the O-line, and he's not. So that's that's a whole different discussion. But yeah, we could have a big we could have a whole podcast on football recruiting for sure. Like in the past five years and in the future. But yeah, I'll, I'll just sum it up by saying there's there's a certain balance to be had and you know, there, there are arguments on both sides of, of turning into that BC or, or pit where you recruit the, the ground and pound style offenses. But I'll just say it's kind of a moot point since I don't see any future under Dino Babers where we're running a ground and pound BC type offense. I just don't see it. I agree. Um, what you got a five, you got a comment of the week. I do, but first, a word from our friends at Rock Auto. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just fast forward in 30 seconds. I don't have one this week. Um, do not have a SyracuseFan.com comment, but always some good stuff going on in the message boards. Um, and as much as message boards get a lot of jokes about certain types of fans or people who post on there, it is a lot of good insight whenever you go on. A lot of good, healthy I don't want to say healthy because it's not the most cordial sometimes, but it is good, you know, good level headed debates. It's also, it's not like you're debating on Twitter where somebody just, you know, it's, it's not like Twitter. <laughs> yeah. so. What's this guy's home address? <laughs> <laughs> um, before we wrap up, I want to bring up one thing that happened in college football this weekend because I thought it was absurd. So after our game ended, I was watching Texas tech TCU. And so tech was driving. They're down by nine. It's 27, 18. They, they're driving down to the 19. And then TCU's not, like, dropping back and prevent, just letting them score. And with 240 left, it's second down and, like, eight, nine. And the Texas Tech coach decides to set up his kicker on second and nine with 240 to go in the game down by nine to save time. Number one, the kicker had only made one field goal all season, which was that game at the halftime buzzer. And shockingly, he missed the field goal, and then Max Duggan ripped off a long touchdown and put the game away for TCU. So my question is, what's the Syracuse fan base's reaction if Dino Babers does that? Like, So in the BC game, if add more time and say there's like 240 left, we're down by 10 like we were. He sends Schmidt out for like a 35-yard field goal on second down with 240 left. He misses, and then BC scores a, t- a long touchdown. W- w- what's the reaction? He would probably be torched. First off, uh, Texas Tech, is Cliff Kingsbury still the coach there? Because he does this with the Cardinals too. I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed this. He's done it a few times where he's kicked on like second, da- second or third down. He did it in overtime with the Seahawks, yeah. Yeah, so pretty wild decision 
I'm sure there's some numbers to back it up where you're like, oh, if it increases our expected win probability, something like that. But Yeah, but the kicker who's made one field goal all season? Exactly. Exactly. So I don't get it. Even with Andre Schmidt, I think it'd be questionable. It almost seems like more of a move to keep the score close than anything, but I, I can't imagine what the tweets in uh, Syracuse, Syracuse football's mentions would oh. look like after that decision. Syracuse Twitter would be a bloodbath. <laughs> I, I, I just I had to bring that up because it was just so insanely ridiculous. I, ha- I had to bring it up. Um, Keith, do you have anything else? Because other than that, I got to go eat and then go work. So you got anything? One final question to post to you. I was thinking about this. Sure. So I don't know if you saw the Rutgers game. I don't have the guy's name. But there was a big man touchdown in that game. Oh, Ohio State. Yeah, I saw it. Mm -hmm. If you could pick any player who's a big man on Syracuse's roster, past or present, to get a touchdown, who would you go with? Um, I feel like bringing Chandler Jones in in like a Mike Vrabel kind of role, just stick him at receiver and have him on a slant route in the end zone would be sick. I think that would be really cool. Or like it's Justin funny. Pugh or something. <laughs> yeah. First reaction is Chris Elmore, but the guy literally was, he was a, fullback. a fullback. <laughs> he literally, literally was a fullback. That I think the first thing popped in my head. <laughs> on the, like, wait, on the wait, current wait. team, I think Aaron Service would be cool. He's got the flow. He's got the tattoos. I think that'd be an awesome, uh, awesome visual right there. Dude, Chandler he's... Jones is a good one. I'm trying to think of who else, but but there are some definitely some good candidates. So I just wanted to to throw that out there. For sure, comment under the tweet when I post this on what big man you'd want to see score a touchdown. Syracuse football, past or present. Um, all right, Keith, if you got nothing else, um, in closing, leave us a five star question on Apple. So leave us a five star review on iTunes with a question attached to it, and we'll answer it on the next show. Follow us on Twitter at MarshallSTPod44. Don't forget to subscribe. And Keith, do one more thing. One more thing before we go. If you want to explain to the listeners what the soundbite was before the pod last week, and I'm, I'm assuming you want to continue that again. I'm going to use that every time we lose. So, yeah, I'm going to keep using it. <laughs> it was the voice of one Greg Robinson, um, the best coach in Syracuse athletics history, <laughs> some would say. You, it was Not the, many, but there's probably some. <laughs> it was at the end of a clip of him at a press conference reading, like, a Thomas the Train book or something. And I had never seen that before. And I was like, what the hell? Like, how is that not a red flag? Like, if you're the 80s sitting there and he starts reading a Thomas the Train book or whatever kid's book it was, how do you look at him and be like, wow, I'm glad I hired you? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. But just for the confused listeners out there. <laughs> Because I did even, was- even for a couple of us who follow SU Athletics really closely and obviously know about the Gerg era, that was uh, a clip you may not have recognized. So just wanted to throw that out for throw that out there for the loyal listeners of Syracuse Athletics. I'm probably gonna uh, yeah, but I probably will use that every time we lose. I have a soundbite for if we win, but that hasn't happened yet since we've been doing the podcast. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay Uh, tuned. All right, I got to go eat. So on that note, that's Keith. I'm Jake. Go Orange. Go Orange.